That is, uh, that is super kind, and I'm super blessed. And I mean, five years is a big deal, huh? It is. And, and I think five years deserves, you don't need to stand up for this, but I think it, it just deserves a high five, don't you? High five someone around you. Say, happy fist bump, whatever you do, happy anniversary, there you go. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I think it's important to celebrate. I've been in ministry long enough again now, 15 years at Hope. I learned to say that. It was two weeks ago we did that. And Jill and I, 20 years in ministry, man, um, ministry is a strange egg. And uh, every year that you have the grace of God to continue to persevere, um, I don't take that lightly. And um, this world is, is not exactly uh, pro-Christ right now. And so if every church that stands for the Lord Jesus Christ and his word, that is a desperately wonderful, beautiful pillar again for the Lord in our day. And every gathering like this, man, how the Lord looks upon you, delights in you, loves you, cheering for you, filling you, strengthening you. Such a big deal. So we got to be thankful when we have the opportunities to do that. Anniversaries give us pause to do that uh, as well. Well, Kevin prayed for me, and this service has been so filled with that. I'm so thankful. We're going to jump right into God's Word, too, just to make the most of our time. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 6, if we can, together. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to seek first the kingdom together right now. Seeking first the kingdom. Um, You need to know right now, five years, this is a great opportunity for this. Um, This is an important time right now. This is an opportune time. Check this, though. Check this right now. This is a heart check time, okay? So that makes a lot of sense. When you're five years in, you gotta, you got to get a checkup. you got to get a spiritual checkup to see how you're doing. So I grew up in a doctor's home. My dad was a general physician, a family doctor. So one of the perks that you get when your dad's a doctor, as a kid, he comes home with his doctor's bag, okay? So I want you to stereotypically think of the doctor's bag right now, and that's exactly what my dad had when I was a kid. You have the black bag, it opens up like from the inside, and inside you have all these neat toys that you get to play with as you're a kid. So let's talk about some of the toys that you would think of in your dad's doctor bag when you're growing up. Well, I remember the knee reflex hammer. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I was an older brother. My younger brother was five years younger. Guess who played doctor? Guess who had his knee smashed? All right? So, hey, Jamie, sit down. And I go, wham and wham. The reflex would go like that and say, Mom, that hurts. Be quiet, Jamie. You know, do it again. It's working. Or the, or the, the tongue for your tongue. Say, ah, ah. You put that on there. Look down your throat. Or that device that you have to look in the ear with a light and has a little microscope on it or a little magnifying glass on it. And you look inside. I'm not sure what I was doing with that. But it just looked like I felt like I was important looking at that. But, but. The single greatest toy, of course, and you know where I'm going with this, that I love to play with was the stethoscope, all right? So you got a chance to put on the stethoscope, and you got to walk around the house and find out who's still alive, right? (laughs) Hey, mom, hey, mom, little Jamie, brother Jamie, he's still alive. That's great, dear, that's great. And you go around, but it was so neat with your own heart, you got to take this, put on on the stethoscope, and you got to listen to your heart, boom, 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 boom. Bum, bum. And mom, mom, I'm, I'm alive too. And that's good. The healthiness of your heart. Right here, right now, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, Gary, the Holy Spirit right now, he's coming chair by chair, row by row, aisle by aisle, section by section, and he has, the Holy Spirit has a spiritual stethoscope on right now to find out how your heart is doing in regards to his kingdom. Five years in, it's a wonderful thing to do. And I, I love bringing this message right now because we have to make sure we never leave that which got us here. The Lord, Jesus Christ, his glory and a passionate pursuit of dependence upon him. So, so, I'm going to warn you, he's coming for you right now, okay? That's so good when he does because every time he does, he does it perfectly and wonderfully and with so much love. But he's coming to challenge us in regards. Hey, Harvest Brantford, where are we at? Where have we been? Where are we going? Where are, are we healthy? Are we healthy? Well, let's find out again according to the word of God. Matthew chapter 6, 
I'm going to read verses 31 to 33, but then we're going to build around that uh, the entire morning together with many other verses. So here's what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 6, verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat? Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that we need them all. Here we go. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, as we come to Matthew 6, let's remember our context is the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, chapters 5 to 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. This, of course, is the greatest sermon ever given. Now, our main verse, verse 33 contains the primary subject of the sermon, which is the kingdom of God. It also holds one of the strongest imperatives pertaining to that subject, seek first. Okay, So arguably then, as we come to verse 33, you have one of the greatest commands, seek first, regarding one of the greatest themes, the kingdom of God, all within the greatest sermon ever given. Okay, so this is one of these moments, if you're listening to Jesus and you have an awareness, and again, you are spiritually astute as to what's going on, and you grasp the magnitude of the setting, and Jesus lays down Matthew 6, verse 33, you're like, whoa, whoa Jesus, can you pause? I need to write that down. I just have a sense that's going to be a big, important statement for my life and for the rest of eternity, and you would be right, again, if you saw it as that. I'm praying we receive that as well, again, here this morning. So, again, one of the greatest themes, again, one of the greatest imperatives and the greatest sermon ever given. Keeping it simple today on purpose, but I pray very powerful, takes us to our main point then as a church, as a family, as an individual before the Lord. Number one is this, ready? We must, we must seek first the kingdom of God. We, we must seek first the kingdom of God. The context of our passage today is dealing with anxiety, Anxiety over the temporal. Question, are we anxious over the temporal? Are we anxious? Again, do we worry about the world around? Of course, for, 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 for most of us, the answer um, is yes. Well, let's just see how Jesus speaks into that context. Look at Matthew 6, verse uh, 25, okay? He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Look at verse uh, 31. Uh, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or drink or where? The Gentiles seek after all these things. Look at verse 34. By the way, those who struggle with anxiety are getting anxious because the word anxious is being said so many times in this passage about anxiousness. All right? Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, whenever one word appears that much in any one passage, it's telling you a lot of what the Holy Spirit is putting down and wanting us to pick up. Notice, notice this. Notice how much Jesus anticipates the great struggle of our lives. This he was saying 2,000 years ago, and here we are 2,000 years later, and again, the same commands are so needed in our day as well. The issue of us being anxious over the temporal. Notice three times here Jesus commands, do not be anxious. 
Two other times, he's appealing to the futility of anxiety. That's always been so powerful, isn't it? But just, loved ones, just take a time out right now. Again, a little heart check, right? When's the last time your anxiety actually helped you? When's the last time your excessive worry, in this case, actually added anything to your life, including time? The answer is never. Like, I love when the Bible's so clear with us and just saying, hey, time out, Robbie, time out. Anxiety never helps you ever, ever. Like, it never, ever furthers our lives or grows our love for Christ. It only just takes away from, and Jesus is so clear. He's just like, hey, man, when's the last time anxiety did you any good? Boop, never, never. It's never, ever helpful. So we're trying to say, okay, so what am I going to do with that? How do I overcome these things? Because Jesus seems to be really concerned about this. Now, here's what I want you to see here. What, what follows in our text today and the thesis of this message, this is literally, by the words of Jesus, this is the antidote to anxiety. What you're about to hear, the commands that Jesus is about to give, is literally the single greatest way and method and power source to overcome unnecessary stress and worry within our lives. That big a deal? It's that serious? It's that much potential right now in God's word. And I hope we get excited about that right now. The antidote to anxiety, the path of peace, and we're going to see this, the promise of provision. The promise of God's provision in the midst of such an anxious world. So ready? Ready? Verse 33. Verse 33. Here's the answer. Here's the antidote. Here's the path to peace. Here it is. Right here. Right here. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And, and his righteousness, and all these things uh, will be added to you. Let's break this down. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? A few subpoints here today on our fifth anniversary. Uh, this, number one, seek first means it's my number one priority. It's my number one priority. Question church today. Question Harvest Branford. What is the number one priority of your life right now? Take the time. I'm not being rhetorical. I'm not trying to be redundant. I want you to answer that question right now. Don't answer for the person beside you. Answer for you, between you and the Lord. What is the number one priority of your life right now? I'm not telling you to say the answer you think you should say in Sunday school. I'm asking you to give an honest answer right now as your life has dictated in the last day, week, month, last year. What would someone watching your life in detail, what is the number one priority of your life? I thought about that question a lot and I I want to give some answers. I think that would be the top answers in our world uh, today. And they just all happen to start with the letter F. Why is that? Because I'm a preacher and that's what we do. All right? So, number one priorities in our world today and many, many people. I wrote down this. Number one, family. Family. Family's great. I love my family. Families are precious. Families are special. Family's such a blessing. But here's the thing, okay? If our families are a greater priority than the kingdom of God, something's out of whack. Jesus actually says in the Gospels that we will be called, some of us, to leave father, mother, sister, brother for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. In fact, some of you in this room right now, you have been saved and asked and called by God to treat his kingdom and his glory and the person of Jesus Christ as a greater priority than the family who has possibly rejected you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Family's great. It can't be number one. I wrote this down. Um, finances. Finances, so many people in our world today, uh, money is what they're going after. They literally, some of us right here, we think more about our financial statements than we do about God. We check our investment accounts more than we do the Bible. We're on our internet banking accounts more than we're in the God's word. That's a problem. 
Uh, finances, can, we're going to hear more about that today as well. Finances can't come again. You cannot serve both God and money. We'll get there in a bit. Jesus has, his kingdom has to be first. Uh, I wrote another F down here, um, fashion. You're like, really? Well, think about it. Our world is obsessed with appearance. Our world, think of all the monies and billions of dollars spent on appearance and clothing. So many people, their number one identity value is based on how they look. In lines with fashion, uh, how about physique? That's a phonetic F, all right? <laughs> so many people are in the gym all the time. The number one pride of their lives is checking the mirror and to see how the biceps are coming along, to see how their legs are being toned, whatever it is, and their whole value is placed on, again, the appearance that they have within this life. That cannot be. At the end of the day, what a waste, considering we're all wasting away. But inside, we're being renewed day by day. The gospel says, again, the New Testament says, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I wrote this down, a fun, fun. For some people, the number one, living for the weekend. I just want to have the, 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 the pleasure and the leisure. Hey, younger people here today, how about another F under fun? How about Fortnite? Maybe not so young people here right now, too. Fortnite's played on our home. I just want to make it, it's played on our home. It can be a fun game. I'm just, there's so many youth, though, or younger, even some adults. Literally, the priority of their lives is a video game. Like, like their schedule's being set around it. They're making all, all the decisions, da, 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 whatever. If that's a problem, that you will regret that in the end if that's the number one priority uh, of your life. I wrote this down, Ferrari. You're like, I wish. Okay, well, let's just say Ferrari, let's say possession. Let's say some of us, oh, I can get that car, if I can get that house, if I can get that gadget, if I can get that phone, if I can get that thing, and I'm everything, I'm going for it. That's why I'm thinking, right, right now I'm thinking about it. Problem, problem. I wrote down um, food, food, gluttony, the desire to, to satisfy a physical appetite overriding a spiritual appetite. The last F, maybe seven, eight Fs, I'm not totally sure now, but the last F I wrote down was, how about fame? Fame. And their fame, let's say, Facebook. Okay, now, now is Facebook inherently evil? Not necessarily, okay? Um, no, but many, many people, their reputation, how they're viewed by others, trying to prop up self, they're, they're the priority of their lives. They're so concerned. Whether, so you're trying to present this image and seeking to be, again, put on a pedestal or being accepted by others or trying to get popular in a certain school setting. And it's, it drives their every waking moment, it seems. All these things, again, if they become the higher priority than the kingdom of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself, some, something's twisted. And the Lord wants to to put the stethoscope on us right now and he's like hey how's your heart beating what's it beating for and is it beating is it beating for me jesus is asking now watch this in verse 32 this is really important jesus says for the gentiles seek after all these things now that's really interesting is it he says the gentiles are preoccupied with the temporal the gentiles unbelievers in this context it drives their lives. It's what they seek after. But notice what Jesus is saying here in light of verse 33. The Gentiles are motivated by the physical, but as citizens of heaven, those who us are genuinely saved in Christ, well, that can't be our motivation. I mean, how, how can you blame an unbeliever for acting like an unbeliever? How can you blame a Gentile, in this case, for seeking after the temporal when they don't know any better? For one, they are blind. They cannot see properly. They are lost. They do not know the way, again, to true treasure in heaven in Jesus Christ. And furthermore, they're just dead. 
An unbeliever spiritually is that they have not been made alive. So you do not expect someone who's blind and lost and dead to be following the things of Christ. But let's just flip that over for a second and say, but what about those who are alive in Jesus Christ? What about those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? What about those who claim that the Holy Spirit has come and literally transferred them from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son that God loves? What about those who say they have been absolutely transformed into a new creation? Should they not then look different than an unbelieving Gentile? That's what Jesus is asking right here. Should, you, should your life and my life not look different than the unbelieving world around us? See what a problem this is? If the priorities of our lives are just looking like the world around us, that is a significant issue to be aware. Right there, the stethoscope's like, is there a heartbeat at all? You can't truly be transformed in Christ from death to life and look the same as everyone around you in the world. It's one of the great challenges you see right here. Harvest Branford, we have, we have to stand out as lights, again, shining in the darkness because inherently we've been transformed from the inside out. Again, so interesting what Jesus says, well, this is why you got to seek first. This is why you got to seek first. Think of it um, like um, a strong imperative here, like a, an athlete pursuing a prize, a young man pursuing his future wife. That's passionate. A farmer pursuing the harvest. That's what it means to seek first. You're, 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 you're going after that, which means most to you. I want to be clear, clear here too. This is not an elimination of the lesser things, like food and clothing. We need those things. It's the highest priority of the greatest things, the kingdom of God. Again, seek first, verse 33. Seek first, uh, foremost, prominent, most important. Again, again, church, church, what are our priorities today? Simply put, our priorities will determine the path of our Lives. If you want to find out what your priorities actually are, it's not that hard to do. Take the last week or month and say, how do I spend my time? How do I spend my thought life? And how do I spend my money, which is really God's money? Those three questions will tell you what your priorities are, okay? How do you spend your time? What do you like to do the most? What do you, what's the priority of your time? How do you spend your thought life? What do you think about the most? And how are you spending money? The way we gave today indicated a lot about us that that will show us what our priorities are um, within our lives and if you're really courageous uh, what you could do today is you could ask someone who really loves you and knows you really well and you could ask them i mean it, it honestly takes courage because you may not get the answer you want but you could ask someone who really knows you and loves you and say hey what would you say is my priority in my life what do i really love the most and you can say please don't give me the answer again you think i want to hear what is the truth? And don't get mad at them if they tell you something that was not what you wanted to hear. Like, this, like, like they're loving, you know what I mean? If you are courageous, it's one of the great ways, because they know, like they know. Hey, parents, you want to ask your children? They'll tell you the truth. And they know too, don't they? The priorities of our lives are very, very important. I went, came across in the preparation for this message a very um, helpful illustration on priorities. I want to go through this. I'll put an image on the screen for you. Um, this is a story, this is from Stephen Covey, and it's a kind of a um, secular illustration we're going to spiritualize at the end. This is a story of a time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students. He pulled out a large wide mouth jar and filled it with fist-sized rocks. When he couldn't put any more in, he asked, is this jar full? And the class responded, yes. He said, really? Then he pulled out a bucket of gravel and poured it in, shaking it down through the cracks. And he asked, is the jar full? Uh, the students were on to him. And they said, no. He said, good. 
He dumped in a bucket of sand. Once more, he asked, is the jar full? No, they shouted. Again, he said, good. He poured in a pitcher of water until the jar was full to the brim. Then he asked, what is the point of the illustration? And one brave student ventured, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard enough, you can always fit more in. No, the speaker replied. That is not the point. Here's the point. Ready? This is good. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. Okay? The single biggest, greatest, most valuable rock in our lives as Christ followers is the kingdom of God. If we don't put that first, think of how our lives get filled with sand and gravel. Think of how much of our lives are spent on that which will not last. All They don't have to be bad things. But if they are filling up our jars and the kingdom isn't getting in, the biggest, the rock of eternal life, the only thing which is eternal versus temporal, doesn't even fit in. That illustration right there explains most of the Christians in this nation right now. The kingdom is simply not the priority. And then the stupidity that comes with that biblically. Because you are literally placing that which moth and rust will destroy over and above that which God promises to be treasures for all of eternity. I'm telling you, church, Harvest Brantford, you, you guys have been so blessed in this. And everything I've seen even here today and the whole time, the, the privilege of seeing you planted out of our church, your priorities are right. Keep, keep them there. Whatever it takes, man, put all your eggs in the basket of the kingdom of God. Put those rocks in. Keep, keep filling it. God blesses that. It becomes my number one priority if I'm truly seeking first the kingdom. Number two, this. The kingdom of God then will be, of course, my number one passion. My number one passion. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Now, when we speak of the kingdom of God, um, you're, some of you are like, well, what do you mean exactly when we mean or are describing the kingdom of God? Let me put up a definition here by uh, John MacArthur, just so we have this again in our notes and before us. So we have that slide there, the definition of John MacArthur. To seek first his kingdom is to seek his rule, his will, and his authority. Okay, we're talking about the kingdom of God, his rule, his will, and his authority. Let's go to the next slide then that kind of unpacks that a little bit. So here's a way to unfold this as well, okay? So what does it mean to seek his rule? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to his Rule, not my own. Notice, my ambition is his will. Not my will, but yours be done. Exemplified for us on the cross by Christ. Uh, the will of God over the will of my own. And of course, his authority. I, I, I adore. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I, I, my adoration, again, is under his authority. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom. And so when you, when you think of it that way too, why would we seek the world if it's proven to be empty? Why would we store up treasures on earth if we know they won't last? Why would we build bigger barns if at the end of the day God will just pronounce us foolish for doing so? I have to say to you too, I put a blind, like in love right now, okay, just trying to be as clear as I can. If, if, again, if, if, if we are living for the world in light of the truths of the kingdom of God, then that results in, forgive me, but that results in a spiritual idiocy. We don't want to be that. Again, it's, it's a marvel to me. Just consider um, that Jesus talked about money more than heaven. Jesus talked about money more than hell. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. 
of the 39 recorded parables in the Gospels, 11 of them are directly about money. Think about that. On top of that, almost every page in Luke's Gospel contains some kind of teaching on money. You know, I always get a kick out of people who don't like sermons on money. You would, you would despise Jesus as your pastor. Like you'd be walking out of the church all the time, okay? Because Jesus taught on this so much. And why did he do this? Because again, it's the very context of our passage that the kingdom might be our number one passion, not the things of this. Look at, look at verse 24. Verse 24 of chapter six. No one, who's this for today? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here it is, ready, ready, ready? Bottom line, you cannot serve God in money. I wish Jesus was clear. Oh, wait, he is. You cannot serve God in money. Some of us right now are like, no, no, I think I can. I'm going to be the first person ever to be able to refute the laws of Jesus within this sermon, and I'm going to serve God and money, just a little bit of both, and it's going to be great. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. I'm trying it. It's not going great. You will not be the first person to ever figure out how to do that. It's one or the other. Which is it? I want to pause right there, I mean, that's an important moment. This is how our world is driven. The priority. What is our passion? It cannot be both God and it's got you. We got to choose, man. It's one or the other. This is why I don't shy away from such teachings, too, because I think this is so spiritually powerful. Why? Listen, listen. Because often the single greatest obstacle to truly seeking the kingdom of God is the love of money. I know people will get mad at me, but honestly, I don't really care. You know why? Because when our wallets get converted, our hearts are converted. Or let's flip that more theologically correct. When our hearts are truly converted, our wallets get converted. See, Robbie, why would you say that? Look at Matthew 6, verse 21. Look at, look at, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Again, hey, hey, you want to find your treasure? Find your heart. You want to find your heart? Find your treasure. If you want to find where your heart is right now, just find out what you treasure. There it is. They'll always be together. They don't separate. They're always together. What I treasure, where my heart is. This is why Jesus dwells on this so much. And then, of course, no coincidence, but seek first the kingdom of God as your greatest priority and passion and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Kingdom of God has, has been a very special theme in my study over the years. I just love it. I just can't get enough of it because it's so much in the heart of Jesus. I just want to go through a few verses from the Gospels on the kingdom of God to show how serious Jesus is about this while we have the chance to do our spiritual checkup on our fifth anniversary. So I chose one verse on God's kingdom from each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Let's go to the first one in Matthew's gospel here. Look what Jesus says here. And Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Now, he didn't say it's impossible. He says with tremendous difficulty. Why? Because wealth breeds self-sufficiency. Wealth often comes against God dependency. That's why it's difficult. How serious Jesus is about the kingdom. Let's go to the verse in Mark. He says in Mark here, he says... And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Why? Listen, listen carefully. Ready? It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and go to hell. 
let's think of one of the most um, prominent and relevant sins in our society right now, including the church, lust and pornography with men and women. I want to pause again right now too because I just I just I want I want the seriousness to be felt in light of this message, in light of the kingdom of God, in light of our one chance at life, in light of the resources we've been entrusted with, the heart that we've been given, and the God that we serve. Uh, this sin alone is absolutely. I mean the the stats I have read in the last two weeks on this updated, it 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 grieves my heart um, so greatly. Um, it puts fear in me in terms of the young generation and what's happening. I mean, just, you just sometimes, but just how many lives are being absolutely ruined with a, a pursuit of a temporal pleasure and a sin that is eating us out and eroding us from the inside out. Jesus says, listen, what, what will it take for you to understand that you want to do whatever you can to cut this out, man? Whatever it takes to seek purity before the Lord because you, because at the end of the day, you want to enter God's kingdom with whatever you've lost in this life than having everything together but not getting in. Not my words, man, they're his. But that's how serious this is with God's kingdom. There's so much grace, church. There's so much grace. But there's also so much imperative. If we are alive in Christ, the Holy Spirit equips us and strengthens us to live this out. Here's the verse from Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, he says this, Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. So again, listen, we've been called to the kingdom, of resolve for the kingdom, we go for the kingdom again. Life is hard, the distractions, and yet, and yet, the resolve to keep going for God's kingdom. Five years in, five more years, five years after that, for God's kingdom and his glory. Last verse from John's gospel. I want to end here too, just in case, I don't know who's here today, but the Lord does. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless, listen, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There might be a few people here today, there might be several, I'm not sure again, God knows. Maybe you've been watching lives around you for a long time, and you're like, why, why does that person seem to have things figured out I don't? Why does that person just have a passion? How that person just seems to have a direction, a path for Jesus? And I'm sitting here, and honestly, I've been sitting in still worship for years now. Um, I never really felt the joy of Jesus in my heart. I've always got, I'm trying to do what I'm duty-wise, but there's never actually been a transformation that if I'm truly honest with where I'm at, I've never really seen what I think I should see within my life. Could it be? Could it be? That's because that individual, a person even here right now, even if there's one, it's worth it. You cannot see God's kingdom unless you've been born again by the Holy Spirit. It's not about earning. It's not about working. It's about being made alive by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says right now, again, again, the only way someone truly sees and lives and enters God's kingdom is by a supernatural rebirth of the Holy Spirit of God. It's not religion. It's not duty. It's not salvation by works. It is an act of God, of the person who understands it's him, and you call and beg and cry out and ask him to make you new as only he can. And at that moment when you are transformed, you will begin to see God's kingdom in a way you've never seen before, blow away all your expectations, and you will then be transformed and start to live according to the Bible as he says. The kingdom of God is everything, church. It's everything. That's where we're called to seek first his kingdom. And then we see this, number three. His righteousness means it's our number one pursuit. Our number one pursuit. Again, look at verse 33. So 
often we know seek first the kingdom of God, we often forget what follows. What's the antidote to anxiety? It includes this. What's the path to peace? It includes this. What's the promise of God's provision? It includes this. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And his righteousness. Righteousness, of course, really holiness, character, sanctification. It's amazing to me. So here's a profound statement. You're going to want to write it down. It's really deep and really complex. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Ready, ready, ready? The more we are like Christ, then the more we are like Christ. Oh, that's profound. But think, 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 think. The more we become like Christ, then the more we become like Christ. Right? When we're transformed into his image, we think like Christ and love like Christ and live like Christ and pray like Christ and, and love others like Christ. And again, our lives become the fragrance of Christ. So to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, his righteousness, the pursuit of, again, one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. In the Beatitudes itself, the beginning of this sermon reading right now, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You see, that the righteousness of God, as we pursue it with heart and devotion, and then the satisfaction and the blessing that fills our lives. The more holy we are, the closer we are to God. The closer we are to God, listen, listen, the closer we are to God, impossible for this not to be, the closer we are to God, the less we live for the world. You cannot separate seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. You cannot separate becoming more like Christ and not seeking his kingdom. The moment we become more like Christ, we're automatically, theologically, Theologically, it must result in seeking his kingdom too. Because Jesus is always for the kingdom. You can't become more like Christ and less for the kingdom. They're always together. That's what this is happening right here. Right before us. Stethoscope, honest, right now. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom. How's it going? Are we healthy? We can be more healthy, more strong by God's spirit, by God's grace. And in, in the resolve of his love to keep seeking him with our lives. How serious are we about holiness? So um, my oldest son, he's turning 15 this year. He started high school this past uh, season. You can pray for Jill and I, new season. Here we go. And uh, so far, so good. But we'll see what happens. But as he was entering high school, for Jill and I, we decided that's the time where our son Aiden, he's going to get his first phone. Um, so we got a phone, and to do that, we need to make sure that there's accountability software on his phone, his computer, and setting it all. As I was setting it all up, though, I was just thinking about all these concepts and just thinking about the reality. So, okay, so my son's going to undergo some significant accountability because he needs that and we want that for him. But I was thinking about the seriousness of holiness and the seriousness of desiring. I thought about as I was setting up his stuff, I was like, Robbie, why wouldn't you also make that two ways? Like, I, I've had accountability computer phone with my wife for years. But I thought, well, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that with your son as well? And so as I was setting up, I said both ways. So what happens is if we hear him or I was to look at something that we should, whatever it was, get a text message, it instantly comes to your phone. And I was, I was doing this. Just, you know, e even the thought of my son receiving a message, every time I tell this story, every time it hits me so hard. And it feels so good. If he were to get a message about his dad viewing something or whatever it was, 
can tell you how grieved I would feel, even just again saying it right now, how much it places in me a desire um, of seriousness, of sober-mindedness, and saying, I would never, I would never ever want that to happen. It gives you, it's like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so we set it up that way. And, and, and so it was interesting that after we set this up, my son did get a message of something that I had viewed a couple weeks later. And um, it was in the season of when marijuana was being legalized here in Canada. And um, I sent a tweet out about an article. So my son comes up to me. He says, hey, Dad, I, I got a message here indicating you and marijuana, whatever. He goes, are, are we good? And I was like, hey, son, thanks for checking, man. We are good. You know why, son? Because there's no high like the most high. Bam. <laughs> there you go. And that's, and, that's, and that's so true. And yet, how healthy it is for us. And you know what, too? You know what, too? You know what, too? I've had conversations with my son that my dad never, ever had with me. And that's not saying anything about my dad, man. My dad's amazing. I'm just telling you, like, the ability to enter into a, a, a process together of talking about some of the greatest issues that face us right now, because it's worth it. The righteousness of Christ is worth it to seek first the kingdom of God as he desires to do within our lives. So seeking first the kingdom, number one priority, number one passion, number one pursuit, and then I'll end with this right now, number one promise, number one promise. Let me just summarize this again, verse 33, so check this out. But seek first the kingdom of God, Harvest Branford, and his righteousness, Harvest Branford. Ready, ready, ready? Here's the promise, here's the promise. And all these things will be added to you. Okay, I want you to stare at verse 33, and I want you to simply receive the promise that Jesus is doubling down for your life right now. This isn't some nice thought. This isn't some, oh, that'd be good if it worked out that way. This is a promise given by the Holy Son of God to your home, your family, your life right now today. Jesus says this to you and me. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is provision gospel. And Jesus says right now, he says this, he says, if you seek my kingdom first, if you seek my righteousness as your greatest pursuit and your greatest passion, Jesus says, I promise you that I will provide for you not what you want, what you, I promise to provide for you what you need. I promise. And Jesus is like, do you believe me? Do you believe me when I say that I will provide for you everything you need in this life if you put my kingdom first and you put my righteousness as your desire? I promise that I will provide everything you need in this life right now. You don't need to worry anymore. Now, I'm simply, I'm simply telling you what God says in his word right now. Your decision is, do you believe Jesus or do you believe yourself? It's as simple as that. He's promising to provide if we seek first his kingdom. Harvest Branford, the rest is up to you. The rest is up to you. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, simply put, Jesus is like, I got your back and everything else too. You, you give to me your burdens, Jesus says. You give to me your worry. You give to me your culture. You give to me your schooling system. You give to me your finances. You give to me the anxieties of the family. You, you, you give to me the You give to me everything. Give it all to me. You, you pursue my kingdom and righteousness. And, and I got your back. And now, and now, 50-year anniversary of Harvest Brantford. Now the heartbeat starts to say, okay, do I believe? 
do I believe? And if I do, then my life begins to change. The simplicity of God's kingdom and the simplicity of following Jesus Christ, how beautiful it is. Hey, um, so thankful for you. On behalf of the elders of Hope Bible Church, so proud of you all, if you can say that, and so hopeful for what will be in the future as you continue to seek for his kingdom. Let's pray. Let's pray together.